In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about redemption, friendship, how fictional characters often cause us rage, and enjoyable retellings. In our discussion of The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yay. Oh, oh, yay! Like in our video. Yes. Yay! With our heads bouncing all around. Yay! Yeah. That's good. That was my tenuous link to, we've got a live next week! We do, we have a live next week! We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode, I think, but live! Oh, hooray! Be prepared. Anywho. Anywho. (laughs) Ghost schoolies and Christmas time. Yes, it's a wonderful time of the year. It is. The most wonderful time of the year, perhaps. Uh, If the songs are to be believed. I mean, how much much credit do you put into songs these days? (laughs) All. All credit. All, all credit. I don't listen to enough music to know. I don't either. I only listen to audiobooks. <laughs> I, 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 I played Hades music the other day. Does that count? <laughs> yes, it does count. I don't listen to anything new. But I did just realize that when I shrugged, you could hear all my pearls rattling. You need to change your ways, Amanda. Change your ways. I can't. I've got so many pearls. i got so many pearls of my ghostly life, of my, my horrible deeds that I've done. They're just... So they many. Are. Here they are. Such a Nobody will asshole. understand what that means. I know I am. I really am. But no one will understand what that means unless we get through our summary. But we can't get through the summary until we do background info. And hey, guess what? I found some background info. I know everyone is shocked because it's not like I prepare it every single week. In an interview with School Library Journal from November 2017, Cynthia Hand is asked, mm. how did you come up with Project Scrooge and the detailed world behind it? Her response is... That was a lot of fun. Part of it was inspired by the movie, Cabin in the Woods. (laughs) Is that that what you were expecting? Is that what you were expecting? No, no, no. I love that movie. That movie's great. It's a gory, very strange horror movie that came out a few years ago where every year this company has to orchestrate a sacrifice to the ancient gods in order to save the world. It's not a film that she'd recommend to everyone, but what she really liked about it was the fact that these people worked in an office and had office wagers and conversations about the wife and kids and company picnics, in other words, normal office life, all the while doing this bizarre, supernatural job. And she loves it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so then she created a Christmas version. Good. You don't want a recreation of what's already been done. No. Per se. I mean, obviously this is a retelling of a Christmas carol, but still. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Christmas movies inspired by a completely unrelated horror movie. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. What are your initial thoughts about this one, Claire? I've read this before. I read this last year and I really enjoyed it. Um, it had a couple of twists and I enjoyed. And it it's Christmassy without being ridiculously Christmassy. Like, you're set into... I mean, I realise you're set into a Project Scrooge and it is based on a Christmas carol. But it's not all... Like mistletoe and tinsel and it's more of a redemption story than anything else. So I actually really quite enjoy it, which is odd for what it's probably labelled as in terms yeah, of genre. But you love sappy Christmas stuff. Yeah, I like it when it's Regency and there's penises involved. If if there's no nudity and eroticism, then I'm not I don't genuinely read it. I mean I this is all hiding the true stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, contemporary YA romance, I don't like. I'm on record as saying I'm not keen on that genre. It's my least favourite genre. Um, but if it's, like, adult, then it's fine because there's a, it's done differently. Yeah. Your initial thoughts? You need to verbalise no. it for the audience. <laughs> Look, the story was super fun. Great time. But it's not it's not my thing. It's not my thing. Even though there are ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's violently murdering anyone. It's just Unfortunately. It's just wholesome. Which is fine. It's fine to be wholesome. I have to be nice at least once a year. So I guess I liked it. Do you know what, though? In the grand scheme of all of the Christmassy reads we've we've done, this is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Remember remember that one that we did a couple years ago? Oh yeah. my god. I'm still angry over it. Yeah, me too. I this still... was Yeah. Oh, rage. Burning rage. Yeah. Yeah. And then we watched the movie. We did. Burning, burning rage and burning fires we of did. hell rage. We did. Yes. God that movie shit. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the afterlife of Holly Chase, which that is, is, true. That is true. reluctantly oh, said by me with size, a good Christmas book. However, oh. if the listeners do want to call and hear us raging about Let It Snow, go back. And go back. Let- and you can act. We actually have an episode where you can play it. As you're watching the movie, we tell you when to press play so you can watch it along with us. And that was weird. (laughs) I would classify it as an experience. It was. Notice, dear listeners, that we've never done it again. (laughs) 
anyway, let's talk about this it one. It was an ex- early experiment. It was failed experiment, but it's still science. Yes. Okay. Holly Chase's stepmother, Yvonne Worthington Chase, the famous fashion stylist married to a famous movie director, Gideon Chase, died during run-of-the-mill plastic surgery seven months before Christmas. It was all over the news when it happened. Yvonne was 16-year-old Holly's role model and helped her become the truly horrible person she currently is. See, I do really like it. I do. I do. She's horrible. It's wonderful. (laughs) Rather than mourn at the funeral, Holly took a selfie in the graveyard for her social media to show off the sunglasses she raided from her dead stepmother's closet. If Holly couldn't squeeze attention out of it, if it didn't serve her, she didn't bother with it. She mocked, she judged, and she didn't care about anyone but herself. When she woke up in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve to a ghostly visit from her dead stepmother wrapped up in a chain of pearls, naturally, she screamed her head off. What a great setup to a story, right? (laughs) I love it. Just wait, it gets better. Well, everybody knows the story of Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, even spoiled Holly. Now, she is the Scrooge and is being visited by the ghosts, starting with her stepmother and taught the same lessons, but she takes none of the warnings or spiritual visitations seriously and is just plain awful to all of them. (laughs) She's so terrible! (laughs) She's horrible! She is! Not even the scene where her best friend Ro broke up with her because she was a shallow bitch causes any (laughs) real emotion. When it was over, it felt to Holly like she was dying, but she dismisses it as like a psycho dream and calls for her housekeeper Elena to hurry up with the pancakes for her breakfast. Not at all regretting the fact that she forced Elena to work on Christmas Day and miss seeing her daughter. Six days later... Holly dies in a freak icy cold snap, leading to a series of Final Destination-style events and ending with her death as she stepped out of the yoga studio. (laughs) Womp! Womp, womp! There's so much Final Destination in this one. You can't tell me she was not watching Final Destination as well as A Cabin in the Woods. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What is the greatest horror influence, Final Destination or Cabin in the Woods? I will defy anybody to not say that Final Destination doesn't. Of our generation especially, it does not impact their lives. Oh my gosh, it so does. All right, so Holly wakes up in an office in New York. The middle-aged man who walks in introduces himself as Mr. Sykes, but everyone calls him Boz, and he manages the company, which Havisham is now part of. Havisham is Holly, by the way. Boz finds it amusing to name the employees after Dickens' characters during their tenure with the company. He explains that Holly, Havisham, is dead as a doornail, but while she works for the company, she will be flesh. Welcome to Project Scrooge. Ooh, five years later. Oh, oh. It's Christmas Eve and the people who work for Project Scrooge have just finished their latest assignment. Bets are being placed on how this year's Scrooge will react and everyone is feeling relaxed and happy for a job well done. Holly, who is now the ghost of Christmas past, a.k.a. The Lamp, is tired and finds it a little twee. 
Before mm. she can head home, though, Buzz calls Holly to his office to meet Dorrit, an over-eager and perky sophomore for M- NYU, who is the new intern. Which is odd, because Project Scrooge doesn't use interns. Yeah, you know, well, mm. whatever. With a gift from Buzz in hand, Holly heads for the subway. One of the perks of the job is the hoodie. To an outsider, it looks like a normal black hoodie. But when it is zipped and the hood is pulled up, the wearer becomes completely invisible. Ooh. Ooh. Where'd I get me one of those? Oh, I know I want one. I want one so bad. It was only supposed to be used for sneaking around a Scrooge's house, but it's comfortable and useful. So, shrug? (laughs) Holly's apartment is tiny. She lives on $100 a month and is bored, unless she's working or sneaking into the theater to see her dad's movies. Remembering the gift from Boz, Holly opens it to find a vintage pocket watch running three hours behind. Strange. Flashing forward to April when Project Scrooge starts operating again, Holly arrives at her office and finds Dorrit sitting at her desk being all happy and and perky and eager. Oh no. But she brought coffee. She's a morning person and the coffee is cold. (sighs) No thank you. Trying her luck, Holly sends Dorrit, who was actually called Stephanie, to get her a nice, expensive, can't charge it to the company, large vanilla latte from down the street, then heads off to a staff meeting. When Stephanie comes hurrying in, latte in hand, Holly introduces her to their co-workers on Team Lamp. Marty, Grant and Tox, plus a few others, and tells her there are two other teams, Christmas Present, a.k.a. The Clock, and Christmas Future, a.k.a. The Hood. After the meeting, Tox suggests that Stephanie would make a great lamp, which makes Holly think she's being replaced, despite Boz's reassurances that Holly's job is safe when she talks about it with him later. Hmm. Holly is distracted after her confrontation with Boz, at which she also found out the pocket watch he gave her for Christmas was her dad's. Ooh. Oh. It's the only thing from her former life she has. After sitting quietly in her office for a while, the latest Scrooge is announced in a big company-wide meeting. Instead of the usual rich old white guy, Ethan Winters has been chosen and is a total hottie! Oh my oh god! Oh my god! He's so hot. Oh my god! <laughs> Later, Stephanie grills Holly about how the Scrooge operation works. Basically, you know how this works if you've ever read or seen or have had any small indication of a Christmas carol in the past. At present, their job is to identify key players in the new Scrooge's life who fit the role based on specific characters from the book. Marley, Fan, Fezziwig, Belle, Cratchit, Portlees, Fred, and Tiny Tim. In the meantime, hidden cameras are being set up to monitor Ethan's life, and then members of Project Scrooge will break inside Ethan's head and start pulling his life apart. Figuratively speaking, you know, they're not they're not really gonna <laughs> break his head open. So he came pulling up out operations, innards. wait for the buzzer to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a gruesome so game of operation. Oh, ooh. To get inside Ethan's head, 
What? That's the Halloween version. To yeah. get inside Ethan's head, Holly needs to sneak into his bedroom in the middle of the night and use a machine to hook her brain to his while Ethan sleeps. This allows her to guide his dreams and memories. Holly finds out that Ethan's dad died when he was young and this event is probably what set him on course to Scroogedom. This means his father fulfills the fan role. Holly can totally relate. After her own mother died, everything changed for her. And when Yvonne came, all confident and put together, she felt like Yvonne saved her in the midst of her own mother's death from cancer. Ethan's Marley is also easy to identify. It's his grandfather who is a terrible and horrible and awful and poisonous person who really does get into Ethan's mind after his father died. Ethan also has an older sister, Jack, who never bought into their grandfather's unpleasant ways. Holly starts to want more and dreams how her dad tried to connect with her after her mother's death, but she rejected every attempt. When she wakes up, Holly steals her neighbor's newspaper and sees her father has a new movie out. In her black invisibility hoodie, Holly sneaks into the movie theater and watches her dad's movie three times. During the third screening, Holly spots Ro, her ex-best friend, on a date. She follows her around and through Ro reminisces about Gideon, Holly's dad. And you know what? Ro never at all, even one half of one time, mentions Holly as her best friend. She freaking talks about her dad and how they connected, but not a single thing about Holly. It's because she's shitty. Which Mm. one? Mm. It's going to sting. That is going to sting. Yeah. Wow. After Holly leaves Raw, she doesn't want to return to her apartment, and so she finds herself at the New York Athletic Club, where Ethan is a member. This is a terrible idea, but Holly just wants to take a look at him. I mean, you know, hottie. And oh boy, does she look. He's swimming lengths in the pool and she's sitting next to his towel. After shooting down two creepy older men who awkwardly hit on her, Holly asks Ethan to be her pretend boyfriend to keep the creeps away so they flirt and call each other pet names. Ethan Mm. is totally interested in Holly but she doesn't give him any details and says she'll find him again one weekend she leaves the club feeling happy but dumb so so incredibly dumb she literally just broke all the rules every single rule that has ever been written she broke it snapped it in half burnt them on a fire it's worth it because it's so hot oh my god so hot my god he's so hot this is really creepy the guy's 17th and we're saying this <laughs> we're not saying it holly is okay i'll let you off still feel creepy mm. but it's just so hard oh it's so hard holly is desperate to see ethan again but it's dangerous At least she can relive their meeting through his dreams as she's doing her Ghost of Christmas past research. But seriously, it's dangerous. Stop it. How's she going to see him again without everybody at Project Scrooge finding out? (gasps) Over-eager and perky assistant Stephanie, who somehow annoyingly has full security clearance. (gasps) Perfect. 
thing. That's just spot on. It's so convenient. Nothing at all is up in the background, guys. Nope. This is all coincidence. Yes. All of it. All of it. After a team meeting, Holly tells Stephanie that she wants to meet Ethan in real life and befriend him, assuring her that going the extra mile will help save him. Her ghostly Uh intuition tells her so. Yeah. Stephanie is happy to help Holly get what she needs and masterminds a devious plan involving cupcakes. Oh, yes. By distracting everyone in the office with delicious cupcakes, Holly is able to slip into Dave's office and get Ethan's schedule and case information. Unexpectedly, she also finds her own case file, but before she can read much of it, people start returning from their cupcake break and she has to leave. After learning Ethan's schedule, she sneaks into the athletics club and leaves a note for him to meet her at the New York Public Library. The date is cute, but honestly, full of lies. So many lies. All are lies. They play a truth or dare, and Holly tells Ethan her name is Victoria or Tori. Lie. Ethan says both of his parents are alive. Lie. And he is an only child. Lie. Lie. Still a good night, though. Night made of lies. Back at work, Holly wants to relive the date. However, Marty and Grant have developed new tech where they will also be able to see the memories Holly guides the Scrooge to. Damn you, ingenuity! Now Holly has to do her job properly! So she goes looking for the Fezziwig and finds that Ethan's mom fits the role. But while she's in the memory, a memory of her own takes over. She sees her own mother's last Christmas as she struggled with the changes that cancer had wrought over her. Everyone in the monitoring room at Project Scrooge sees those memories too. Oh, it's that's not a good time. Do you think no. they regret making this uh, memory device? Yes or they're and just, no. They're, just, they're fine with it. Yeah, well, the nosy buggers to begin with. So. They are. They are. <laughs> on a 4am date on the Staten Island Ferry, Holly and Ethan have their first kiss. They ride mm. the ferry back and forth and talk and talk and talk. Later at work, while sifting through Ethan's dreams, Holly finds he's dreaming of her. Yay! <laughs> But, oh no, oh no, oh, that's bad. Oh, no, Holly no, that, no, yanks herself out of the dream before anyone in the monitor room realises it's her, which wakes Ethan. Oh! Thank goodness for the invisibility hoodie. Even though uh, yeah. she was able to escape without being caught, Holly still gets in trouble with Boz. She really needs to be more careful. Uh, or, you know, stop seeing him. Yeah, maybe, maybe you should just stop. Maybe rules. you should stop seeing him. Rules. No, who cares about rules? Obviously not Holly. No. Time montages forward. Literally. And it's fantastic. Everything goes faster with the montage. It's we so have great. Dates with the montage. The so season change with the montage. It's so great. <laughs> so great. <laughs> During a team meeting, there is a discussion on the Tiny Tim role. Holly thinks of her own tiny Tim, daughter of the housekeeper, Elena, who should 
have grown to become a world-famous life-saving surgeon. But instead, she died in a house fire because of Holly's selfish demands of Elena. Oh, burn. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. Burn. Stop it. I had to stop it. Oh, burn. Oh, it's bad. Also, house fires and burn jokes aside, bad. Uh, Dave thinks he's found Ethan's Bell, a mysterious, gorgeous girl. Who is she? Holly must find out. During a dream, Holly guides Ethan to a memory of a party in a boy called Dent, who Ethan is initiating into a fake club because, remember, he's a Scrooge and a terrible person. (laughs) Dent is a heavy, nerdy kid, and Ethan challenges him to kiss the hottest girl at the party. While Ethan warns said hottest girl of the prank and tells her to be awful to Dent, Dent directly asks her for a kiss in a lovely, no-pressure, respectful manner, and gains the kiss, and everyone gains a little respect for Dent. Meanwhile, Ethan thinks about how he hates parties. <laughs> oh, Dent. Oh, your shitty plans have gone awry. <laughs> We're here for the nerds. Look, Dent was so kind, and he was like, hey, I'm <sighs> super embarrassed about this, but I gotta take my chances because you're so pretty. And she's like, oh, okay. He was being a nice guy. This he is a was. good example of being a nice guy. Yeah, you can be a decent human being. Shocking everyone. Mm. Holly and Stephanie have lunch together and head back to the office after. Tox finally has their Marley, Ethan's grandfather, and it seems everyone at Project Scrooge is wrapping up most of their duties for the season. Except Holly. At the office, there is a hubbub that Ethan is going to a ball, and they think they'll be able to get the bell. Oh, no. No, can't have that. Holly persuades Ethan not to go to the fancy ball, but instead to go to the botanical gardens, where they have a magical evening and agree to be exclusive. (gasps) They talk about their first kisses, and Ethan tells Holly about Isabel. Isabel. Isabel, who at her seventh birthday party made him kiss her. Aww. They've been distant friends ever since, but, you know, they never really dated. This is the bell, clearly. Clearly, this is the bell. the nose. This is the bell, Isabel, Isabel. When Holly sees her in another dream slash memory, she calls it a night, much to the disgruntlement of Grant and Stephanie in the control room, who were paying more attention to each other than screens. Doing a little smooching. Which is useful, because this allows Holly to erase that recording. So much kissing. In the days following, Holly starts fantasizing about being with Ethan after Christmas, assuming Project Scrooge is a success. However, Ethan seems less like a Scrooge and more like a regular guy, and others are noticing it too. There is even a challenge about this selection during a team meeting, Rather than answering, Boz calls it a lively debate and moves the meeting on. That's so middle management. But it doesn't get much better as Blackpool, the hood, sees that Ethan's future has gone hazy and there are lots of different variables in play. Yikes. Yikes. Holly is definitely 
invariable. Yikes. After the meeting, Boz apologises to Holly for being snappy. He's rather stressed, looking for Dave's replacement as the clock, because he will be moving on after this Christmas. She also finds out her own lamp was a temp. It's interesting. This is all very interesting. Hmm. Let's put this on our murder board information, Ooh. shall yes. we? Yes, tuck it away for later, listeners. Tuck it away. It's It's Thanksgiving, and Holly has been invited to Stephanie's gathering. Dave, Blackpool, Marty, and Grant are there, too. Stephanie and Grant are an official thing, and it's vomit-inducingly cute. They're going around the table saying what they're thankful for, and when it's Holly's turn, she reveals that she is thankful for Stephanie, who she now considers a friend. On Thanksgiving night, Holly meets with Ethan, and he invites her back to his place. Wink. And since Project Scrooge isn't monitoring tonight because of the holiday, she agrees. On the way, she spots Ro walking toward her, arm in arm with a different guy. As Ro starts to recognize her, freaking yikes, Holly pulls Ethan into a kiss and through a door into a church. Holly makes some story up about Roe being a rival at school and hating her because she's rich. In empathy, Ethan finally tells her the truth about his dad, who couldn't handle being rich and wanted to make his own way, which included riding the subway. One day at 9.07 in the morning exactly on the corner of Lexington Avenue and 115th, he paused to listen to a homeless guy playing saxophone and was killed in a freak Final Destination style accident when a hammer fell on his head. (gasps) Gasp! Holly also admits that her parents aren't divorced and that her mom died when she was 14. So they are both in the Dead Parents Club and both liars. But they forgive each other. Mm. After they decide to call it a night, Holly picks up her hoodie and goes to spy on Roe. Seeing Roe again hurts as Holly realizes how much she misses her friend. Who doesn't care one little bit about you, you hateful bitch? (laughs) (laughs) On Monday, Holly doesn't come to work claiming she's sick, but she can't get sick because, you know, she's dead. She's dead? Stephanie brings her turkey soup anyway. Apart from Boz generally stressing and Marty setting the fire alarm off making toast... We've all been in the office when that's happened. We have. We really have. We really have. It. That is one of the most relatable scenes in the entire book. <laughs> Holly isn't missing anything at work. Well, I mean, they did locate the bell, though. What? Ethan oh. was talking about her with his mum. And Belle is Victoria. <gasps> exactly. Gas. What? 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 I mean, oh. Holy's mum about that. But, you know, holy macaroni. She might get found out. Oh, 
no. Oh, no. Oh, no. They spend the afternoon watching movies and talking, and then Stephanie accuses Holly of being Victoria, which Holly can't lie about, but also says she can't be the Belle because she doesn't fit the archetype. Oh. What's going on? At the last team meeting before the big event, Holly explains that Victoria is not the Belle. She's Ethan's miss right now, and Belle is the miss right that he blew it with. Holly shows a recording of memories of Ethan's sister, Jack, who is actually the Belle. In a questionable way. The boss tries to push for an investigation into Victoria. Blackpool comes to the rescue and points out that he sees no future for Ethan involving Victoria. Ooh, that's got a sting. Ooh. Ooh. After the meeting, Holly and Stephanie go through their to-do list and paperwork when Holly spots her file in Stephanie's pile. <gasps> Ooh. What's Holly, that's terrible. Holly reels. Stephanie knows everything and must have known for months. She sees this as a betrayal of their friendship, a game she was playing. When Stephanie leaves, Holly allows herself to cry. Her only friend betrayed her. Three days before Christmas, Holly takes Ethan to the Angelica movie theatre to see her dad's movie. But of course she can't tell him it's her dad's. Mm. As they talk, they both agree that Christmas sucks. And as the movie starts, Holly starts pointing out little bits and scenes and it's obvious how much she loves the movie. But Ethan just wants to sit in the back row and suck a face. It's getting really annoying. Oh, it is. Oh my gosh. Just stop it. Ugh. Eventually, Holly storms out and Ethan chases her. They go into a different movie and make out there instead. It gets to be too much when Ethan calls her Tori again and again and again and again. So Holly gets upset and Ethan asks if it's her time of the month. Oh. Listen, side note, people, at this point, oh. I'd have dumped his ass and walked away, but you know. Yeah, okay. done, done. Done, done and done. So Ugh. Holly instead slaps him. We all cheer. Uh-huh. Yay. Uh-huh. And they have a fight, which leads to Ethan walking away. Holly, oh. my girl, you should have done the slap and the walk. Yep. Yep. You just just let him go. Yeah. He's a Scrooge. His Scrooge is shoving. Oh, my God. Hot Scrooge. Hot Scrooge. Scrooge's coming through. (sighs) Now it's Christmas Eve and time for the big show. (laughs) Holly gets into her lamp costume, which makes her look ageless and ethereal, like a ghostly wood nymph with an elaborate crown, a white fur robe, and a headlamp similar to a miner's bobby pinned to her hair. In the corridor, Holly meets with Dave, ready for his last time as the ghost of Christmas present. 
Dave's costume is green velvet robes and a laurel of green leaves. But as his time with the Scrooge goes on, his appearance goes from youthful to an old man. As Holly holds Dave's hand, she gets a flash of him hugging Stephanie in his dressing room and kissing the top of her head. Huh? Wait. What? Isn't Stephanie dating Grant? Mm-hmm. And isn't Dave way too old for her? Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. You know what? Not everything is what it seems. Ooh. Holly then passes Ethan's grandfather's ghost as he heads to the transport room to get the show started. Though he doesn't believe Ethan will listen to him in death, because he never did in life. Mm. Now, if you hit mm. it, old man, you just don't realize it. Mm. The evening goes the same way for Ethan as it did for Holly, without the hysterical screaming upon seeing the dead relative, though. So. Well, he's too masculine for that. <laughs> A little yelp, maybe. As the bell tolls one, Holly, oh. as the ghost of Christmas past, makes her appearance. She explains she is a friend and here to help him. All the while, Grant is talking in her ear about her strange accent that really isn't working. Can we stop it? And despite the lamp shining in his eyes, Ethan can make out that the spirit looks a lot like Holly slash Tori. Holly takes his hand and leads him into the past through the time tunnel. Yes, they have a time tunnel. This is amazing. Yes, it really is. And shows him memories of his mom, dad and sister from when he was eight and happy. Then she shows him the memory of a few years later with Jack telling Ethan she no longer recognises him anymore and call when he decides to grow a soul. Oh. Yeah, yikes. That's a sick burn. Ethan is angry at the images and rejects the supposed help the spirits are trying to give. But now... It's time to deal with the present. Instead of watching the rest of the night, Holly hides in her dressing room, crying in the shower, and returns as Dave is finishing up explaining how a homeless saxophone player only needs to be connected with his daughter for his life to be turned around. Ethan remains unmoved. That's the same homeless saxophone player that was responsible for his father's death, so why should he care about him? Dude. So you're not a Scrooge. Come on, dude. Dude. They move to a scene at Ethan's mom's house where Ethan's presence is obviously missed. Just before Blackpool begins the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come part, Stephanie asks to speak to Holly in her office. She brought Chinese food! Mm. (laughs) Yay! Despondent because she is sure Ethan will fail and die, Holly agrees. Plus, like, who can turn down egg rolls? Mm, Nobody! They're delicious. Stephanie agrees with Holly's assessment. She doesn't know if Ethan will be saved, but points out he'll be the new ghost of Christmas present if he dies. Hang on, (gasps) wait, what? What? Wait, what? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave told her. Oh, what? and just you know, Dave is actually Stephanie's dad. What? I know, revelations. Oh, what? yeah. 
Stephanie's been dying to tell her all this, but that's not the only thing. Oh, God. She's not a psych major. She's a (gasps) theatre major. (gasps) And and Stephanie is actually the ghost of Christmas past. (gasps) She was Holly's lamp. Oh, my God. Revelation City. Ooh. I know. Dave was a cratchit, and when his Scrooge failed to change... He died. Oh, Boz, no. I know. Boz brought him in as the ghost of Christmas present and Stephanie as the ghost of Christmas past as an interim spirit since, you know, she's alive. She's been uh, with Project yeah. Scrooge since she was 11. <gasps> 10 years. But Boz couldn't let her become an orphan. With smiles for each other, Stephanie thanks Holly and leaves. Despite realising she could have had her happy ending with Ethan if he fails, Holly doesn't want him to. She loves him too much for that. Oh my gosh. Revelation after revelation. I know. Oh man, that was a bonkers section of the book. Although really, it was all laid out. It was all there. It was the whole there. It was all there the whole time. Just look at the murder board. It's all yeah, on the page. Yeah, check out the murder board. Wearing her hoodie, Holly runs to the transportation room and through the time tunnel into the mortuary. Before Blackpool can reveal dead Ethan on the slab. One, two, see. One, two, see. Sorry. Corpse, 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 corpse. <laughs> Holly removes her hood and tells him the truth. All of it. Ooh. When she's finished, she can tell that Ethan believes her. But now, everything's up to him. Blackpool takes Ethan home, and Holly goes back to Project Scrooge to face her fate. Dum, (gasps) dum, dum. Boz sits quietly behind his desk. Tox is standing nearby, red-eyed and clutching tissues. Holly blurts out apologies, but Boz is speechless and sends her home. Without the hoodie. Damn it! Dang it! On her way out, Holly runs into Dave, who tells her he is proud of her, which makes her bawl her eyes out even harder in the privacy of her dressing room. (laughs) Outside, it's a white Christmas. Before Holly can get far, though, Stephanie comes running out of the building and calling her name. Turning and stepping off the sidewalk, Holly has hit Final Destination style by an oncoming taxi cab. As snowflakes fall over her, Holly feels like she could just float away. Hmm. Waking with a jolt, Holly finds herself in her bed. Back in California... Hang on. Her phone on the bedside table says it's 9 a.m. on December 25th. Six years ago! She's gone back, been given another chance! (gasps) Distantly, Holly can hear Elena singing a Christmas song and starts screaming her name until she comes running. Oh my god, is it starting over again? She's already yelling at her. Oh my god, no, stop it. Don't be horrible. Oh, don't be horrible. Don't be horrible. Don't be horrible. Don't be horrible. Corpse, 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 corpse. Corpse, corpse. <laughs> no, no, no. 
Holly throws her arms around Elena and sends her home to her daughter and apologizes for being a total jerk. Then her dad calls and asks Holly to fly to New York for a few days to hang out, (gasps) which Holly readily agrees to. She never would have done that before. No. (sighs) Before getting ready for her flight, Holly goes to Rose's house. With too much to explain right now, Holly tells Roe she can't stop being her friend. She understands, but it can't happen anymore. Holly explains she lost sight of what was important and changed for the worse, and she's trying to find the person she used to be again. Hmm. Roe agrees, saying they can grow together instead of apart. That night, Holly gets on a plane to see her dad. They hang out in a hotel room, watch It's Wonderful Life, and eat cupcakes from room service. When Gideon has to return to the studio, Holly hangs around in New York. At the site of Project Scrooge on 195 Broadway, it looks completely different, and there is no sign of Project Scrooge there. So instead, she visits the Angelica and watches one of her dad's movies. Outside, Boss is waiting for her. She tells Holly she never let him down, and as far as he is concerned, everything went according to plan. What? Coming to your own conclusions was the most important part of her rehabilitation, and they never give up on a Scrooge. Oh my gosh. Stephanie is still the ghost of Christmas past, until she wants to try high school, and Ethan is a 12-year-old boy, not yet a Scrooge. (gasps) <gasps> O-M-G. Well, that's a relationship that's not going to happen, just, you know, so. <laughs> Give it a little while. Five years is not so great a difference when you're not 17 slash 12. It's fine later on. Wait till your 20s. Yeah. Yeah. On December 29th at 9 a.m., Holly stands on the corner of Lexington and 116th Street, listening to a homeless man play saxophone. At 9.03, Ethan Winter II appears, and Holly asks him for directions, delaying him enough for the hammer to miss his head. Oh. Holly then takes the homeless guy to the London, New York City Hotel, where his daughter works. <gasps> Aww. So, that's the story of the afterlife of Holly Chase, a recovered Scrooge. Aww. To send you off properly, God bless us, everyone. Oh. It can't be the end of A Christmas Carol without that line. It can't. Aww. Fuck you, Tiny Tim. Fuck you. Tiny Tim. <laughs> go burn in a house fire. Right, let's Don't. go watch a Muppets Christmas Carol and reconvene afterwards. Yes, sounds great. Have you ever wondered what Tina Fey has in common with Jonathan Swift? Or how Star Wars is connected to feudal Japan? Or just how pervasive Shakespeare's influence still is? I'm Rhonda. And I'm Erin. And our show Pop DNA explores the literary and historical roots 
of your favorite pop culture works. Like the Greek mythology and early 20th century feminism echoed in the film Wonder Woman. Or the classic dystopian fiction and real-life political revolutions that informed The Hunger Games. Every month, we bring you a deep-dive discussion of a selected pop culture work. Featuring jokes no one will think are funny and literary references no one asked for. Find us at thepopdna.blog. Or anywhere you get your podcasts. By the way, Shakespeare is bigger than Disney. And we're back! I was jamming to the Muppets Christmas Carol soundtrack today. Yeah. I can tell. So, um... Anywho! Anyway! Back to the modern YA romantic retelling of A Christmas Carol. Yes, indeed. Look, um... It's so hard for me because... This is a contemporary romance, which is my least favorite thing in the world, and it's also Christmas, and I hate Christmas books, and I hate Christmas movies. But I liked it at the same time, which makes me feel weird and confused. Yeah, yeah, it's going to do that to you. Ah! Can I tell you that... I listened to the first part of this book on my way into work, and mm-hmm. the first part is just, it's where Holly is completely just terrible. She's the worst human being, and it ruined my mood the entire day. It really? Put me that in bad? such a funk. I was like, oh my God, I hate everything. And anytime any person said anything to me that, like, normally wouldn't phase me at all, I was just like, eye-twitching, rage-table-flipping, angry, crazy person. And I think that it was because of Holly being so awful. Wow, Holly, you are a bitch. That just means it's really good storytelling. Well, exactly. I mean, to be fair, I'm, I'm sure I use the phrase lovable asshole when it comes to Holly. She's an absolute asshole, but then she turns into a lovable asshole five years later. Five years later and then minus five years. Yeah. Five years later and five years before slash currently. Before she dies, she is the worst. She's the worst human being She's the worst. And this Boz, isn't it Boz or Stephanie tells her that she is their youngest Scrooge ever by far? Yeah. Because she's that horrible. Yeah. Like, look, Um, we gotta put a stop to this crazy bitch. Otherwise, like... She's going to set the world on fire. And she everyone's going to die. She calls World War III. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's fine. Like, it needs, she needs to be. She's a Scrooge. It's why it was so difficult with Ethan. It's like, it doesn't seem that bad. He has his moments, but he's also 17 and a yeah. rich entitled person. Yeah. Look, 17 is too young to be a Scrooge. Tell that to Holly. Oh, I know. Gosh, you're so bad. Whose bad attitude results in the house fire death of a small child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's bad. That is bad. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't know this was a romance the first time I read it. I remember when I was texting you saying, Claire, why the hell did you make me read a contemporary YA romance? And you were like, it's not really a romance. It's not really a romance. It's it isn't. Really okay, there's romance. lots of snogging. There's a massive montage of dates, which is hilarious. But it's not. It's a redemption story, not a romance. It's just, you know, for easy categorization by bookstores and etc. and publishers going to be lumped into romance and it's not to be fair the same result could have happened if she was friends with somebody imagine if it was raw that was actually the new scrooge project no roe is gone... too pure she is too pure and wonderful to ever be a scrooge you stop it <laughs> but the example stands. The example stands that if it was anybody else other than, oh my God, he's so hot, Ethan, then, you know, she could have befriended the person. Look what look what she did with Stephanie. She befriended <sighs> Stephanie, got to Thanksgiving, and she said, thank you. That is probably, a, for me, a greater impact in terms of Holly's change than anything that happened with Ethan. Ethan was literally a kissing post. She was somebody to project her issues onto and then go, well, I want to save you. But actually what she's doing is saving herself. So the fact that she was kissing him and having, you know, sexy thoughts and being in love with him is a complete side story. It's not even like the third or fourth story for me. Everything else about it being her redemption and learning to actually like and appreciate other people is the bigger story, not the kissing. And this is coming uh, from me, who loves romance well, books. Yeah, okay, look. It... Remember I texted you and I was like, I think I know what's going on. And then yeah. at the end, I was like, yeah, okay, I was totally right. So are we in agreement that Ethan was never the Scrooge and this was all an elaborate ploy to fix Holly? Yes, because okay. he, f he was the only person who was... Um, of the correct sexual orientation for her age and similar background dead parent club yeah and rich they, yeah. that was he he fits a certain criteria and he was totally hot that was it's it totally hot. It's totally it could hot have been rich oh my god oh my god he could have been any one of a thousand people in new york it just happened to be him okay just making sure that we're on the same page, that this was yeah. all Holly's story all along, mm -hmm. and it wasn't actually about Ethan at all. No. Because even if even if Holly didn't save Ethan's dad at the end, which has final destination repercussions all over it, if you ask me, but mm -hmm. even if Holly didn't save Ethan Winters II at the end, he would have... No, he would have turned into a bit of an asshole, but probably more of a the lovable quote unquote asshole than a Scrooge, because for all the fact he was being a bit of a dick, he is still, like I said, a seventeen-year-old entitled rich person. Yeah, because that's, we saw that's what he's him. Like. There was one scene that we didn't talk about in the summary where we see Ethan interacting with Dent. Yes. And they're friends. Yes. And, like, nobody at Project Scrooge knows that. Holly only sees it because she showed up as Tori at school, which was another, like, danger, danger, don't do it. 
But she sees them and, and like, Dent knows all about her and, like, they're clearly friends. So, yeah, like, he wasn't, you know, Tiny Tim. None of, none of the stuff was lining up. No, none of it. And even, I mean, if you look at the, how they were trying to tenuously get Isabel to be Ethan's Belle, but it was a girl he kissed, who kissed him, sorry, on her seventh birthday and they've been very distant friends that go to each other's birthday parties ever since. And yeah, you know, he is attracted to her in that she is a gorgeous, available person of the opposite sex. High social sex. standing. At social standing, exactly. But it's, she's not Belle in any way. She's not Belle. No. And Jack's mm-hmm. tenuous. And the closest you're going to get to one who is somebody who loves you but rejects you because you're an asshole. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about Holly. Everything. Everything is about Holly. Everything. Every single thing is about her. I mean, it it, it, it was basically from, you know, as soon as you got introduced to Stephanie, this perky, overeager intern down a company that doesn't have interns, who has full security clearance... It's like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, what is happening? And at that point, it was just, well, let's see where what puzzle pieces we're giving and let's see what we can make. Yeah. So, yeah. I just I just stand by that it was all Holly all the time. Yeah. When I found, this is probably like the most surprising thing for me um, out of it, just jumping that little bit ahead, was... Because it's all Holly all the time, and the entire th- this entire story, this entire gambit, is Holly's redemption. You know, they've they've, they've got her work working at Project Scrooge. The first four times is genuine Scrooges. She's been the lamp to, and now mm-hmm. five years later, it's time to finish her story. So everybody there is in on the fact that this is Holly's redemption. They know it's Holly's redemption. So I found it very strange when they're in that team meeting that they're questioning Ethan's Scrooge credentials. I was surprised by that. Because if some if too many people start asking questions, it's also too much seeds of doubt. And that could have made the project fail. I just feel like they all knew about it and they all felt bad for Holly because she's like totally in love with this guy. And they're like, why are we doing this to her? It's terrible. Stop it. He's not a Scrooge. Please stop. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, I, do you, you know? think everybody at Project Scrooge knew it? Holly was still the, the Scrooge they were daming? Or do you think they genuinely thought it was Ethan and it was like Boz and Stephanie... Because Stephanie was in on it. it was just yeah, Dave couple. would have had to have been in on it too. And Blackpool, uh-huh. because Blackpool knows the future. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe these other young people that are floating around. I'm sure Talks knew too. But Definitely. all these young people that are floating around, I'm sure that they, you know, they might they might not have been in on it. And she's not the first Scrooge that's failed first time around. Yeah. So, wasn't Blackpool a field Scrooge? Was he? I don't I remember. remember. 
We know that I think Dave. She assumed, she assumed Dave was, but turns out he was Cratchit. Yeah, Dave wasn't a Scrooge, but he still got involved with the company just to keep his daughter safe. Dave seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, I like Dave. Yeah. I really liked Dave. He stood in, you know, kind of as a father figure for Holly. He was a good guy. I think I, think I liked what... him. I liked him and Stephanie the best. Yeah. I think yeah. Dave and Boz both acted as father figures. It was like a My Two Dad situation. Boz was yeah. the more authoritarian and Dave was the cuddler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I struggled actually with favourite characters with this. It's just, it was very much an ensemble piece, which is very much a Christmas carol. You need. Yeah, you need every single, the... you need every single character for it to work out. Yeah. Probably least bothered by Ethan. Yeah, I don't care about <laughs> Ethan at all. I was not bothered by Ethan. I wanted to know more about Dent. Yeah. I, I, I would like his story. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <gasps> oh, wouldn't, no, that wouldn't have worked. I was just thinking it would have been nice if Dent was the guy that Roz was, that Ro was seeing, but that um, age wouldn't have worked out because yeah, technically no. she would have been 21. Yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't have worked out very yeah, well. No, no. no, that wouldn't have worked out well. No. Um, Forget that one. I like Jack. I like the sister. Yeah, I liked Jack too. She was good. I liked good. her attitude. I thought that was, it was positive. Yeah. If a little um, sad. Yeah. Like, I just, you know the scenes, it's all, in every single Christmas carol, the scene in present where they go and visit the relatives and they're all having this wonderful Christmas, but they spend the entire time mocking the Scrooge. I hate that scene because you're supposed yeah. to be a loving family. You're supposed to be caring about this person, yet you're taking the piss. It's like, when when are we going to get the scene where they're like, Ethan's not here. I really wish he was here and I really miss him. Should we try and give him a call and try and encourage him to come? You know, where's where's the encouragement to get that the Scrooge to come to, to the to the gathering? Well, the mom was trying. The... She called him every week. Oh, exactly. No, that that happened. But it never happens in the party scene on Christmas Day. That's right. horrible. Every single time. Horrible. Yeah. Like why would you wanna why would you wanna be a part of that? Yeah. They're trash talking you. That's not a good scene to have. Stop it. No. I suppose, though, it does show that... That, oh, yeah, you're a shitty person. Stop being (laughs) shitty. You're a shitty person. Stop being shitty. But also, you know, everybody is a shitty person. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, I really liked the scenes where... And, like, you can already tell that there's changes happening in Holly when she goes to the movie theater and watches her dad's movie over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I liked those scenes. I thought they were sweet. Which, like, I can't believe I just said that out loud. Gross. <laughs> but at least there was, like, a horrible... Ugh, ugh, get it off. It was um, a horror movie, though, wasn't it? Yeah, there was like, a horrible well. Shadow King there. Evangeline's Well, which yeah. I really want to see. Yeah, I'd really like to see that movie. With the horrible shadow creature and the father going down in the well to save his daughter. Be a good story. I'd watch yeah. it. I'd watch it. As long as the special effects are top-notch. 
Which I bet they are because Gideon Chase is, you know, a super well-to-do movie producer, so. Exactly, exactly. He's the Steven Spielberg of his generation. Yeah, yeah, he is. (laughs) What else did you like? What other good scenes did you enjoy? I love the, the like you say the sneaking into the to the cinema to watch our dad's movies. I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think I would have actually liked a few more of her just sneaking around the city scenes. Um, I, my least favorite scenes, I will say, are necessarily the ones with Ethan. Actually, um, I just wasn't I, I wasn't invested in their relationship because I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Um, yeah. But. I preferred her interactions with Stephanie and the way that you could tell that there was something budding going to happen there. There was going to be this developing of friendship when Stephanie's so bloody eager. (laughs) She's so weak (laughs) and perky. And it just, it's, it's, as a a tired old person, it saps my energy. Um, (laughs) But I can understand where you need that kind of energy to help make that connection she is the half of the the of the friendship that is going to put more of the effort in because she she knows that the reward is going to be great she knows she's going to get something back in return that will you know yeah be worth the effort and she does you know it's it is lovely at thanksgiving when holly says you know i'm, I'm thankful for having stephanie in my life and I was devastated when she found out the revelations about Stephanie. So I was more bothered about the friendship aspect. And I enjoyed those moments than the romance moments in this book. Yeah. I, I loved it when she was like, oh, she's so perky and awake. Oh, what oh. if I get a coffee out of her? Yeah, mm. go to this really expensive um, artisan barista down the street and get me a large vanilla latte. That would be... That'd be excellent. Mwahaha, she can't expense it to the company. Mwahaha. Mwahaha. Let's see how many times I can get this out of her. Mwahaha. Because you know you would. Oh, of course. Because at, at this point, she's still a shitty person. And she's still going to milk the lattes out of her. But um, um, You know how you were saying that you didn't really care for any of the Ethan moments? Which, yeah, I didn't really either. Um, but I did like the first scene where she goes to the athletic club and mm-hmm. sits there watching him and he's also watching her at the same time. And he's like, yeah, I really wanted to come and talk to you, but, uh, you just like shoot away those creeps. So I thought, well, I don't stand a chance. Yeah. I thought that was a fun scene. She's very intimidating in that scene. But also, yeah, yeah they are but creeps. also, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Like, Gross. do you know a good lawyer? I'm 17. Oh. Yeah. Ew. Stop it. Gross. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also like that they um, met outside the New York Public Library with patience and fortitude. And she had to kiss one of them as a truth or dare. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. You wouldn't need a truth or dare to kiss patience or fortitude. No, you wouldn't. I would do it just for the photo op. Whilst wearing my dead stepmother's sunglasses. God, she's an awful person. God, she was, she's so bad. Oh my God, she's, she's dead. So but her wardrobe. Hey, I can go and pilfer things. She's super rich. Terrible. It's terrible. Terrible. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think it's time to play Would You Rather? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think it's time to play Would You Rather, too. And I have a feeling we're going to get a little bit more into detail of the story here with this Would You Rather, since we're talking to Cynthia and surprise! Yes! (laughs) It's so exciting to be joined by Cynthia Hand. We just, we're so happy that you're here with us. I am happy to be here. (laughs) All right. So, Claire, what's our first question? It is, which ghost would you rather be? Marley, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, or the spirit of Christmas yet to come? And on Facebook, it was a split 50-50 between being Marley and the Ghost of Christmas Present. On Instagram, the Ghost of Christmas Present won with 42%. And on Twitter, again, the Ghost of Christmas Present won with 67%. Which I find very interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. Um, I what I, I took it on Twitter, I think, and it... And, it was like zero for like some of the others. And I was like, oh, really? Like, is it just because the ghost of yeah. Christmas present is sort of jolly and nice? Like, is that why people like that? I definitely it wouldn't be Marley, right? Like, Marley has no fun. Unless Marley's <laughs> wearing, you know, multiple strands of pearls. Well, and and Marley is wearing Marley's multiple got strands no of pearls in my book. Right. <laughs> but... Yeah. Marley's got no chill. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just, you're an angry person. It's not good. We do have some comments that may be able to give some insight. Ooh, yeah. Okay. At Lightning Cats on TikTok said, The ghost of Christmas past. I would like a look in others' lives. I know it wouldn't be good life, but still. Okay. Scully Joe on Instagram said, ghost of christmas yet to come it's my Claire, aesthetic <laughs> you are scully joe <laughs> that's scully joe i'm not scully joe scully joe is his own person oh my gosh okay um brie tart on instagram said spirit of christmas past i want to be master of all things happy childhood memories colin on facebook said marley for definite He's the only one who has the chance of sticking around for more than one night. Plus, agree with his methods or not, but he had a bowl of time when he was alive. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really cool perspective. I like it. Oh, and finally, Annie <laughs> on Facebook said, We were discussing similar at Books and Brews Club yesterday, and the point was made that Christmas present gave you, an, gave you excellent opportunities for spying. I mean, researching people you currently know. I think that's fine. Yeah, I feel mm. like all of them do that. But, <laughs> but current day spying. Current day spying is, is pretty interesting. So. That would make you the Marley eventually, though, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> if you're, depending on what you're using this, all that information for. You could, you could join Project Scrooge after you die. It's hard to say. Hmm. So, yeah, 
I I definitely chose the Ghost of Christmas Past, um, but maybe that's just because you know that that is what I focused on the most when I was writing, and and the Ghost of Christmas Past is always floaty and cool. You know, present is like jolly and kind, and the future is badass, right? Like out of those three, and I I would pick any of them, but I think I still co- keep coming back around to the past because I like the idea of digging into people's past experiences to see what shaped them. I think that's that sounds like the best for me. Though. Oh, that sounds really interesting. How you've said it like that. Look, I'm just going with mm. Christmas future. Christmas yet to come because he's creepy with his creepy hood and his creepy pointing yes that is me that is my aesthetic the scary one in the Dickens doesn't he like pull back his robe and there's like starving yes. children underneath yes you know, he's like... terrifying yes he's terrifying beyond it's all terrifying reason, that is why I choose him oh I hate that bit it's the no. worst bit in the entire by worst thing. you mean best it's so much Yes, but that scarred me as a child. Made me the person I am today. Awful. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me. It just it gave me an inherent um, distrust of people <laughs> in robes. So, uh, I don't know. I'm tempted to go with Christmas present because I kind of like the idea of the the whole spying. The future's just so subjective. It's like in the book, Black Pearl's like. Ethan's future's fuzzy because there's so many variables. I can't really say what's going on. So the future's just all uncertainty. And unless you know it's definitely going to happen, it's kind of like. But you could also see into the future. But at least the press. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's hollow information because you don't know. Like, so you could put a different colour hoodie on one day you could decide to have tea instead of coffee and that changes the entire future so what you are seeing is not necessarily what's going to happen it's you know it's not the sports almanac effect you're not getting that kind of Mm. solid piece of information to be able to manipulate the future you will not turn into Biff. But what if I'm? But I want to Biff Tannen <laughs> myself. We've had, we just... talked about this in one episode a long, long time ago. How we were going to Biff Tannen. We we we've talked about Biff Tanning. We've talked about Biff Tannen a lot. Yeah, the Biff Tan effect. We've talked about that a lot. But you can't do that with these ghosts because there's too many variables. Mm. It's the butterfly effect. And the past. Mm. I do that every night because my brain just constantly lives on and i relive the stupidest things that have happened like from my entire existence constantly um and i'm i'm, I'm quite tired of that so probably present because at least yeah. not marley marley's a jerk yeah i'm gonna <laughs> say ghost of christmas present because at least you, like, like annie says there's the spying opportunities um and you're probably more able to affect what happens now than you were able to necessarily yeah and also you know dave's just the coolest guy dave was amazing dave Dave gives the best hugs bar none i love dave this handsome beard as long as you could turn it off right like i wouldn't like to know what people are thinking all the time like yeah that might be terrible yeah See, you could still be the ghost of Christmas present, but you could have the aesthetic of the ghost of Christmas mm-hmm. yet to come, you know? 
your, 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 the outfit choice is up to you. You don't have to have green velvet robes and a laurel leaf. You can okay. go for full with a goth. robe with starving children on the inside. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> on board. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. You and you could have you could have like swear like um, yeah stitch all over mm. and people have to look at it and go hey yep. that says a naughty yep. word it's like yeah it yeah, does that's me yeah okay it does. that's what I'm doing. <laughs> all right next question okay. would next you question. rather be Holly or Ethan uh, I definitely would rather be Holly. <laughs> um, I think it's just whenever you write from a person's point of view, you have to walk in their shoes. And I've walked a lot in Holly's shoes and uh, I really connected with her. Um, and so, and I like the idea of having a second chance or being able to like fix something you screwed up, you know? Um, so like, I really connect with that more with Holly. Claire, mm. what about you? Holly's, Holly's a genuinely horrible person though at the beginning. It's like when we discussed it, like, you, you felt rage. I did. The entire Holly, day. that that first like bit, I listened to this on my way to work, and Holly's terrible attitude like put me in a mood all day. <laughs> I was so angry at everyone. I was like, "It's damn you, Holly Chase." <laughs> <laughs> That's why I pick Ethan. I mean, just really for that reason alone. Also, he's a lovable asshole, which is my favorite type of character. But, I mean, just the rage. The Holly rage that I felt all day in real life makes me choose <laughs> Ethan. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. Exactly the same. Ethan is the lovable asshole. He, he is effectively quite harmless. He just needs to grow up a bit. Whereas Holly was genuinely... A bitch. She was the worst. I, oh, but then she was so good at the end. I, yes, which is why it's yes. a satisfying redemption story and why mm. it's been written so well. If you if, to feel those two spectrum of emotions, to feel that rage and that hatred towards a person, to put you in such a bad mood, but then actually feel really quite like, oh, I want to be friends with this person on the other end of the scale. Yeah. That's amazing writing. So thank you very much, Cynthia. That was brilliant. You've done a fantastic job with this book to be able to to, to do that spectrum of emotions in 300x pages. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Ethan. I'm always attracted to writing about people who are selfish. Like almost all of the main characters that I've um, written in any of my books have a real selfish streak in them because I think of that as being one of the like biggest things that we have to face, you know, in our lives as human beings is like how to handle, to have self-respect and, and to value yourself, but also not to sort of handle your own selfishness. And I feel like uh, that is something that we struggle with in our society more and more, you know, and uh, so I, I like to write about people like that. And I loved writing, I loved writing Holly being bad. And I always find it really interesting that people are so much um, more likely to forgive male characters who are bad than female characters mm -hmm. who are bad. Like, mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone say they spent like a day in rage over how horrible Ebenezer Scrooge was, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, I'm playing right into your hands here. But oh it's, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not acceptable for young women to be like that. 
you know, whereas when men are like that, we're like, okay, you know, well, maybe you can grow, you know, but we, we have a lot less forgiveness for women that way. So I think that's interesting. Like, um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's because women are expected not to be selfish where men, we expect men to be selfish assholes. So you just brush it off. They're already terrible. They're constantly terrible. Society's been, (laughs) yeah, society's been, been, been bred to realize that men can be selfish assholes, that they're allowed to do what they want, and a woman's place is to do X, Y, and Z and be demure and pretty and always defer to the male in their lives. And that's why a woman is not allowed to be such a raging, horrible person. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine probably equal like men and women who are assholes but like uh but you know in the world but i think in in terms of like what people want their stories to be about too you know like i think they're less forgiving of fictional women you know um i've gotten a lot of comments about holly over the years because this book was what 2017 Mm -hmm. when it came out you know like Mm -hmm. so over the years i've gotten a lot of comments about how insufferable holly is you know and i'm like do you have that same reaction to like to Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, like um, or any number of sort of like characters who are like bad, like we kind of find bad boys charming, mm-hmm. right. And interesting and attractive in their way, but bad girls, you know, they just don't have that same appeal. But I think it's interesting. I'd like to challenge that when I can, you know, but I think, um, the book was published and watching people's reaction to it too has been really interesting for me like to see um the difference in how people treat Ethan and Holly also you know I also think it has to do with yeah. I mean a lot of YA readers especially are girls and so they're maybe they're putting themselves into her shoes and they hate it because they're like holy shit am I being this terrible I don't want to yeah. be this terrible so <laughs> she can't be terrible because that means I'm terrible so maybe it's something like that. Yeah. Projection is a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah, I could. I now you I just need to write that. a gender swapped version, and see what happens. <laughs> it is a gender. <laughs> but swap version. it back. Swap it back and make it Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting so to see if people would would hate him as much. <laughs> Um, but at, at the the problem, I say the problem. The thing is with me with Ethan, in the book, Holly and the rest of Project Scrooge say, it, "Why is he a Scrooge?" Like the question because he's not because he's not the Scrooge because he's a plot device and he's not <laughs> exactly. That's right. He's not exactly. as bad as Holly for sure. You know, like he yeah. is on the road to becoming the Scrooge, but he isn't there. You know, so. Yeah, no. he's not as bad. I, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I'm not trying to forgive him as even as a character, but he's he can be a bit of a, a a garbage person during the book, but not that bad. Like he's not he's nowhere near Holly's level at all. No. So there's a, there's all, there's always the opportunity that he just grows up and decides, you know what? Like if you think about his relationship with Dent. It was horrible to Dent, but now he's friends with Dent because actually he realizes Dent's a nice guy. So there's a, Ethan has that capacity in him to actually 
potentially like other people. He just needs to fix his relationship with his family. Whereas Holly just needs to really wipe everything clean, start again, and not be such a horrible person. I really think that Ethan's turning point wouldn't have had anything to do with Holly. Like, I really think that night when he challenged Dent to make out with the hot chick at the party, and then he, like, politely asked her to... I think that was his moment. He's like, oh, man, I'm being so shitty to Dent, and look how great he is. And But then he went on that date, and he asked yeah. uh, he asked Tori if it was her time of the month, which was pretty shitty, too. Like, oh, so that's pretty bad. So, <gasps> so maybe what I just that said is That was the worst. <laughs> he doesn't come off very well in that That might just be a boy Oh, my gosh. No. I don't know how much that is a boy reaction, though. You never, ever, ever, ever say to a girl, oh, is it your time of the month? You, you deserve yeah, every slap you get at that point. Just punch him and move on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hated that scene so much. It made me so, so angry. Don't question my menstrual cycle. He's just so annoying in that whole section. He is. All he wants to do is make out. He's not paying attention to the things she wants him to pay attention to. You know, he's he's just, yeah, he really dials it up. Oh, I still love him, though. Yeah. Okay. I was just just proving your point earlier. Can't help it. See, I don't love Ethan. Ethan is, for me, the plot device. I loved... The relationship that That's Holly true. You did like more. that, and I mean, my favorite character was Dave. So I can't say I can't say that you know I love <laughs> Ethan because because Dave was the best. True, true. Next question: Would you rather have Holly's invisibility hoodie or be able to see into the future like Blackpool? Ooh. <laughs> You can have the robes with the children underneath if you really, really want. I, I mean, can have the child robes. No, I wouldn't want. <laughs> On a practical level, Blackpool. I think it would be extremely useful to see into the future. Um, the hoodie would be really cool, you know, but I think if I had to pick between one or the other, I would pick um, I would pick the future. Oh, yeah. Me the too. Future. Me too, for sure. Now nah, I'm going hoodie all the way. What does that say about me that I'm quite happy to be invisible? <laughs> if you want power and visibility, that's Yeah, you're sneaking no into places and burgling um, stuff. No, I want the hoodie. I don't want to see Sneakily seeing all the movies. Yeah. I'm just shenanigans. Like tying people's shoelaces together. If if there's room for shenanigans, I'm going for it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> don't get me started on shoelaces right now. No, if there's room for shenanigans, I'm there for it. I don't necessarily want to see the future because... Blackpool doesn't seem to have a fun time with it. It seems to be very negative what he sees and I don't... If you saw the death of somebody who you were close to then you have to live with that. And I couldn't... I could. I don't... That's not a response. That's not a responsibility that I want to have. But are you... Which is probably why the best would be past because then you can change the past but... You... No, I wouldn't want that, that responsibility. But is he always seeing all the horrible, grisly deaths all the time? Or is it only because he's working at Project Scrooge? You know, like, what if, you know, when you see him in the office, he's like, oh, no, terrible deaths. But, you know, when he goes home for the day, he's able to see it to the future, you know, to get the sports almanac and Biff Tannen himself. It could be good. 
It's maybe only terrible while he's in the office. Well, and probably not all the time, even then. You know? he, yeah, he might see good mm. stuff. I think Blackpool is so annoyed during this book, you know, because um, because I think he's being asked to not be completely mm. truthful about mm. what he sees, too. And But he doesn't like to lie. And so it just makes him really grouchy to have to, like, come up with things that are sort of like half-truths and and to be very vague when he's not normally very vague, I think that makes him really annoyed. So I don't think that's normal I think he's re- situation for Blackpool. Yeah. I think he's really annoyed because all he sees in, in the future is Ethan making out with Holly constantly saying, oh, for God's sake, you two. Put it away. <laughs> it's a little creepy, though, seeing that. And you just, like, see yeah, Holly across the hall in the office and, like... I don't. I know what you're doing. I know what you're going to get up to next week. <laughs> get a room. <laughs> oh, but then at the same time, he's not seeing all of that because, I mean, Holly gets reset, so he can just see other things. He's seeing her new future yeah, over again, right. and Ethan's not even around then because he's twelve. He's seeing Gideon chases. <laughs> That's true. He's seen Gideon and Chase's latest um, Hollywood blockbuster oh. before it becomes a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, That'd be quite cool. He knows which movie's going to be the best. Mm. So clearly we all need to be Blackpool <laughs> right now. So everyone needs to be Blackpool. Yeah. That'd be nice. Um, okay. Next question. Would you rather be called Havisham, Dorrit, or Copperfield? Forget any of their story or whatever they're doing. Any of their, you know, any of their Dickensian stories. Dickensian origin. It's just (laughs) your name. Which name do you pick? Uh, I'm not cool enough for Copperfield. Um, Dorrit still strikes me as being sort of annoying. And so I will go for Habersham. Nice. Just a fun sounding name. I wish. I, I I too am going for Havisham because it sounds like you could be part of some kind of de- detective agency. And that's a reason I, I pick a lot of things is because it sounds like some kind of Victorian detective agency. <laughs> Including whiskey. Look, I want to pretend that I'm cool enough to be Copperfield. With my robe full of child corpses. I'm just going to combine them all into one character. Well, and Dave's your favorite right. character, right? So yes. that makes sense too. See, it's perfect reasoning. That was an easy one. Is our last one? Is our last one easy? No, our last one's really fun. What's our last one? Would you rather spend Christmas in California or in New York? I've done one of those. You've, you've done one in California and New York? No, I've done one in California. I was five. Does that count? I don't think that counts. Mm. I don't think that counts. <laughs> Doesn't count. Technically done it. I would pick New York, um, if only because I like Christmas to be with snow. Um, and I used to live in California. I actually lived in uh, near Malibu when I wrote Holly Chase. Um and there were always daffodils in my front yard on Christmas Day, which to me just somehow felt wrong. 
I was like, no. That's weird. Um, and I have, I have not been to New York at Christmas, but I have been to New York in the winter and, um, you know, been in Times Square when the snow was falling. And I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty amazing. So I would definitely pick New York. It seems more mm. fitting. It seems more Christmassy. I haven't spent Christmas in either of those places, but I did live in South Florida for a while. And at Christmas time, it was weird because, you know, it's not cold at all, but there's like all these snowflake decorations everywhere. And they made a sand castle Christmas tree and everyone was super excited about it. And like you go on the beach and see the sand tree like that just doesn't scream Christmas to me. So I think I'm going to join you in New York. Just for the winteriness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love New York. I've not been in the winter. I've only ever been to New York in the summer. And I've said this before, I would happily move to New York. It's such a glorious city. Um, so having Christmas there would be oh, bliss. I will one day go for, probably not for Christmas, but certainly sometime in December for the lead up to Christmas. I'll do that one day. Go ice skating at the Rockefeller Center and yes. fall on my ass. It sounds like a fun That's time. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. There are definitely things I miss about California in the winter, though. So, <laughs> not having to shovel snow to or dig your yourself out or scrape your car, and yeah, and there's just it's just there's some nice things about that. Um, but but yeah, for New York, for that Christmas is the worst day. thing about winter weather: is waking up in the morning and thinking, "Do I have to do that?" Mm-hmm. You have to get up early if it's winter weather to like check to see if you need to dig your car out. And if you do, you just want to, like, slowly die inside. (laughs) Serious. But if you were in California, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Well, unless there was a freakish cold snap and then Final Destination style, you get (laughs) murdered viciously by a vehicle (laughs) as you come out of your yoga studio. Oh, my gosh. We loved all of the Final Destination style accidents that happened in this story. It cracked us up while we were doing our summary. But um, anyway, that's the end of Would You Rather. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks a bunch for joining us. You're wonderful. Thank you. As always. Thanks for having me. That was such a fun chat. It was. Cynthia's lovely. She is. I'm so glad that she, like, was accidentally on Twitter since she said she doesn't get on Twitter very much. (laughs) She was accidentally on Twitter, came across our post, and was like, hey. Yeah. She's so talented as well, like. Yeah, she writes a lot of different kinds of things, so. It's intimidating. Yeah, it is. So everyone, make sure you go and check out the bonus episode Mm. where we talk to Cynthia Hand, because we talk to her about a bunch of other stuff, not just the afterlife of Holly Chase. Oh, it, it, it ran the canvas. It did. It did. And we came <laughs> back to Holly Chase at the end, so it was nice. We, we wrapped it all back up. It was wonderful. It's a full circle obstacle course of topics. Yes. It was great. Yes, it was really great. All right. <laughs> so, favorite final thought quote? Um, do you know, there were so many in this book, and I thought a lot of them were actually tonally very similar. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's themes of love and redemption and friendship and things like that. Um, and there was quite a few that was a bit sarcastic and witty and I quite enjoyed those. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'll just narrow it down to two. Okay. Hey, me too. I have two. Oh, cool. So my first one. Sometimes all a person needs to turn themselves around is one good friend. Mm. That really spoke to me. Like, yeah, I mean that was your favorite part of the whole book. Yeah, was the friendship. So, yeah, it's fitting. It's it, it's amazing how just being able to have one person to talk to really does lighten the load and makes things less dark and scary and horrible and hard. Yeah. So yeah, that one really really spoke to me, and the other one. Again, it's another one that really spoke to me. Neither of mine are funny, I'm sorry, but neither of mine are the, the ones no, that really mine did aren't stand funny out to either. Me. No, yeah. Because there's just so many, like like I said, take the romance out. There are so many themes in this book that really just hits you at, at home. And mm-hmm. the second one is, nobody's perfect, right? We can work on our flaws together. We learn, we grow. Maybe instead of growing apart, this time we can grow together. Oh, Ro. Yeah. And I, I again, know. I don't know why this just, I think at this, I don't, is it this time of year? Is it just when you start to think about the past and the friendships mm. that you've left behind because you've grown? And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of friends I have left behind because I've changed and I'm a very different person than where I am. But then I think about the friends that I've got now and how many of them are virtual? <laughs> and how that, exactly, how precious those friendships are and you've got to learn how to maintain those friendships as well um, in yeah. a very different way than than when you were a kid or a teenager or anything like that. It's it's different. And I think there's a lot more understanding in friendships as an adult now. Making friends as an adult is hard. It is hard. It is so hard. So when you do find those, I think you, you hold on to them a lot more. And yeah. the friendships are a lot more precious. Yeah, you latch on to them. Yeah. God, why, why did you make this so sentimental? Jeez. I'm so, because it's Christmas. And it's Christmas. Christmas. shaking you into the sentimental season. <laughs> <laughs> What's the two you've got? Okay. My two are... It's never too late to become what one could have been. Ooh. Mm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And without stories, we're all just lonely islands. Stories let us see and hear and feel what someone else does. They build bridges to other islands. That's why stories are so important. They create true empathy. <sighs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. That reminds me of another book that we read for the life, and I can't remember. It's going to come to me at three o'clock in the morning when we talk about It will, which stories. is in like fifteen minutes, and you text me, and then I'll still be awake. And... <laughs> All your files uploaded. By the way, I remembered the book. Oh yeah, here it is. <laughs> oh. All right. If you liked this, try this. Are you going to suggest some crazy ass Christmas story that? It's full of emotions and love. No. And emotions. No. 
No, the book I am going to recommend is one that I haven't actually read, but I did find when I was looking through um, for some Christmas books for my own son. Um, okay. He is starting to get into um, early middle age books. Um, and this one is called Christmas Dinner of Souls by Ross Montgomery. So, like I said, it is middle age. Um, and I got the summary from booktrust.org.uk. This is Christmas Eve, but not like any you've known. When you're as naughty as Lewis, you don't get the kind of cosy Christmas you might have hoped for. After he breaks a college window when he throws some stones, his punishment is to serve at the annual feast of, at Souls College. But this is no ordinary dinner party. The guests are unruly and everybody's howling like banshees. Lewis realises that this is a secret club for people who despise all things like children and happiness and above all, Christmas. And I'm there, center stage. Yeah, I think you're on one of the tables. Each <laughs> guest must tell the others the most terrible story they know, while Lewis listens and wonders whether he'll make it out alive. Although it has an overarching narrative, Christmas Dinner of Souls is also a collection of hell-raising, spine-tingling short stories. Some of these are deliciously, deliriously ghoulish and perhaps not suitable for sensitive children. However, if yours is the sort that hungers for chills and thrills, they will lap this up. Ross Montgomery's language is poetic and striking. Some of the images settles deep in the bones. But fear not, there is enough humour here to keep things the right side of rousing and David Litchfield's hilariously creepy illustrations also add to the fun. I really like the look of this book because it's creepy, it's ghouly, and it's the opposite of what Christmas probably should be, but really is what it is when people just sit around and bitch and complain and mourn. Nice. It sounds nice. fun. It looks beautiful and it sounds fun. <laughs> What's yours? Okay. So I found mine, which of course I haven't read because, I mean... Christmas. Yeah. Except for actually this one's not Christmas. It's Valentine's Day. But still, anyway. I found oh. this list of a Christmas Carol retellings or Christmas Carol themed stories mm -hmm. provided by King County Library System. Ah. Mm. So this one is called Marley's Ghost by David Levithan. I have seen this cover. Yes. Yeah. When Ben's girlfriend, Marley, dies, he feels his life is over. What could possibly matter now when Marley's gone? So when Valentine's Day approaches, it makes sense that this day that was once so meaningful to Ben leaves him feeling bitter and hollow. But then Marley shows up, or at least her ghost does, along with three other spirits. Now Ben must take a painful journey through Valentine's Day's past, present, and future, and what he discovers will change him forever. Ooh. It's Christmas Carolly. It is. Christmas Carolly. Without the Christmas. Without the Christmas, plus Valentine's Day. I'm not going to talk about Christmas books. I don't like Christmas books. That is fine. Do we have an appropriate indie spotlight this week? It doesn't have to be Christmassy. It doesn't even it's have to be not. hashtag tenuous link TM. It could be absolute no link TM. There is a hashtag tenuous link. Okay. It's very tenuous. Even better? But 
The one that I suggested is called All the Things We Never Knew by Liara Tamani. A glance was all it took. That kind of connection, the immediate and raw understanding of another person, just doesn't come along very often. And as rising stars on their Texas high school's respective basketball teams, destined for bright futures in college and beyond, it seems like a match made in heaven. But Carly and Rex have secrets, as do their families. From the moment Carly and Rex first locked eyes on a Texas high school basketball court, they both knew it was destiny. But can you truly love someone else if you don't love yourself? See, tenuous links. It's kind of, you know, you got two super popular kids. They're amazing. They're going to do great things in the future. But they have secrets. And they can't love each other until they realize that they're not terrible people. Oh, wait, that's back to this story. (laughs) I don't know if they're terrible people. I'm sure they're not. But if you were shoehorning in a Christmas version of it, especially a Christmas Carol version of it. I mean, one of them would probably have to be terrible. That's true. That's but true. I bet it's, I bet they're not. But still, it's still a hashtag tenuous link. Very tenuous. You know we love a hashtag tenuous link TM. Yes. Not at all Christmassy. Because <laughs> I can't handle that. We're going to have to find a Krampus book for next year. We are. We are. Um, but you know... Our next one that we're about to talk about does feature a Krampus. Oh, yes. And cynicism and hatred of the season and yes. murder. Yes. And, death. and, and, and knives. orphans. And knives and pistols and knife pistol boiling, knives. <laughs> boiling water. Yes. Yes. And a saucy Fraulein. Yes. Oh my gosh. So so much murder happens in so few pages. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. <laughs> Join us next time in our live episode on ah! December 19th. Eee! How do we do this? As we talk about... The Christmas Spirits by Grady Hendrix. <laughs> the author Such alone good... should tell everybody the, the quality of murder and yes, death. Yes, really. It's so true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can find this story, The Christmas Spirits, on a podcast that we found digging through so many old internet things scrounging for something good to read we found it on an episode the dusty of... archives of google yes yes we found it in an episode of pseudopod and you can find that by clicking on or looking at all of the links that we've been posting on all of our social medias and you can listen to this story you can also find it in a collection called dead leprechauns and devil cats Strange Tales of the uh, White Street Society. You can find the story in there. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, terrible collection of stories. And this one's right there. 
I highly recommend listening to it on the podcast because the audio is really funny. The audio is it's ridiculous. Like I I don't even know if pseudopod is still a thing, but I kind of hope that it is and I kind of want to approach them and be like, "Hey, can you find a story for me to read because yeah. I really enjoyed listening to this one." And the narrator's like cracking up at all of the terrible things that happen. It's really wonderful. Everyone needs to go and listen to it. It really right reminds now. us of reading the summary. It really does. It really really does cuz oh my gosh, how many times do we crack up in the middle of it and have to start over again? Probably more than people realize because of the power of the edit yes yes you're so right so anyway everyone read or listen to the christmas spirits before next week get ready to join us we're gonna have a lot of fun we love doing our live episodes and we hope that you enjoy them too yeah yeah all right Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangove.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no ER. If you like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>